Hi, and welcome to this week's HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host, Annabelle Collins, and this week I'm joined by Lawrence Dunhill and Rebecca Thomas. On this episode, we'll be talking about two of the most read stories on hsj.co.uk this week. And perhaps surprisingly to listeners, neither of them are entirely about COVID. Of course, the COVID pandemic is still the biggest worry for most people working in the NHS at the moment, and we will update you on what's going on at the end of the podcast. But these two stories, although completely unrelated, are pretty remarkable in their own right. So the first story we're going to discuss on the podcast is about University Hospitals Birmingham Foundation Trust, a large and significant acute trust in the Midlands that has also been hit hard by COVID. This investigation by Rebecca Thomas, who, as I said, has joined us today, has revealed that clinicians within the trust's cancer services have raised multiple concerns over patient safety, which they believe have resulted from badly planned service changes in response to the COVID crisis. Rebecca, um, I think it might be helpful for listeners to hear some of the context behind this piece, perhaps starting with when you first had an inkling that something was wrong at this particular trust. Yeah, of course. Um, so this one, this was this one was an interesting one, really, um, because I was contacted by uh, whistleblowers uh, off the back of a report I did um, about a, a tribunal. Um, which I'll talk about later, um, but essentially um, a person contacted me and um, a, f- a few months ago uh, during the winter and it's snowballed since then. Um, to be honest, I've never really had so many people uh, want to speak out about safety concerns within a single service, uh, which which really surprised me actually. Um, and obviously this is on top of everything they've um, going through in terms of COVID and a big question I think that's come up since um, we published uh, yesterday uh, was uh, was is this is this stories are the scandals that are, is the scandal directly caused was it directly caused by COVID or are there deeper running issues here and I think certainly obviously because the reconfiguration was um, forced through but, for COVID, so essentially, um, haematology services were moved from the Heartland Hospital to the QE. Um, so that definitely, that definitely prompt would have been been a, a prompted the um, safety the safety issues. But um, from the discussions I've had, that it seems that issues run far deeper here, um, and perhaps um, contain an element of um, trust not get kind of failing when it comes to integrating the Heartlands QE and Good Hope because I don't know if listeners will be aware they they merged um they merged um not that long ago um with um Heart of England Trust so they're they're essentially one of the biggest trusts if not the biggest trust in the country 18,000 staff um and uh, I think COVID has provided the lens f- a, a bigger lens for these quality issues that will have most likely been there before to come to the floor. Um, uh, re- so listeners might have seen yesterday there was also a CQC report published. All of the um, all of the headlines, all of the headlines centered around um, an incident where a patient was left, uh, a dead patient was left on the ward for five hours because of lack of staffing. Um, one nurse to 17 patients on the ward. 
now it we can certainly say that these issues will be um compounded uh by covid and definitely um driven by covid but i don't think we can say for sure that they're only due to covid and will go away after covid and weren't there before covid that makes sense um your your uh, story was about haematology specifically wasn't it rebecca and did what did the cqc say about that it's an interesting one so um the cqc um covered off couple of the concerns which were being raised so for example the three um blood transfusion never events um which happened um and kind of in which the um patients were given the wrong blood type which is very serious um very serious error and thought to be a um just for listeners uh, rebecca what is the never event because it's quite a (laughs) to us we read about it all the time but it's quite a jargony term but what yeah is that does what does that mean in terms of significance it's um well essentially it's in the title isn't it um (laughs) (laughs) a clinical event a clinical mistake that that should be that's deemed that should never happen in terms of so for example a mistake in giving a patient the wrong blood type um in this this situation um means the proper checks weren't done the Mm -hmm. simple simple checks that is that are meant to be done before you give a patient a blood transfusion weren't in this case from what I'm told mm-hmm. um, and interestingly from the CQC report um, they've suggested this was partly due to the fact that nurses on the new hema- newly merged haematology service um, some of them had come over from urology and so weren't trained haematology nurses um, and weren't trained to do those checks. Um, mm. And that happened three times in in what in what space of time? Three times in uh, within a few months um, wow. after each other, um, and uh, what so what's also quite concerning is so haematology patients um, would be considered um, extremely clinically vulnerable in terms of COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the uh, part of the um, uh, explanation for the ward move was to keep these patients safe from any COVID infection because from from neighbouring wards at the Heartlands. But there was actually a COVID breakout on the new, um, uh, on new, not new, on the kind of, on the um, transferred on the wards in the Queen Elizabeth. So COVID nineteen breakout, which I'm told started and was was acquired within the hospital, and that's really serious. Mm. Um, and um, I'm told they've had another one since then, as well since since the initial one. So um, you do wonder with when it's repeated mistakes happening um uh, obviously it's the covid infection issue is perhaps harder to control but where it's repeated mistakes happening um there there there, there has to be an element that a lack of oversight there mm-hmm. or perhaps a lack of learning that's taken place so have the cqc got to the bottom of the problems do you think no not at all uh, i don't think so the the within the reports um the the languages i mean they often are in cqc reports but the languages are quite quite watered down and um in terms of the picture the cqc paints for example i'll, I'll compare the line the cqc's a line, a line in the cqc board paper which said um hematology wards the culture was positive overall but there was some discord around the changes um I'm undergone in the service and staff were struggling and unhappy now I compare that to um 
what was said in a resignation resignation letter by a nurse who left because of the patient safety concerns and low morale. Um, this is what the nurse said. Um, I'm witnessing uh, strong, knowledgeable colleagues breaking down on each shift. For me, I came to the QE to improve cancer service, but I leave broken with the constant hauntings of the patient that patients that have been let let down by this poorly managed ill communicated and thought out merger that's that's quite striking and doesn't really fit with um an overall positive culture um i mean the comments i've had after that were equally as bad which are quoted in the story Mm. and how have the trust responded to this rebecca so you 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 spoke to them as part of your (laughs) reporting on the investigation but i wonder whether um yeah i wonder what response you had I didn't have a response. Uh, so the trust okay. declined to respond um, at all to um, each, uh, to our to our story about the hematology service. They did respond to the CQC findings, saying they were aware of the issues and they were working on um, the kind of usual uh, comments you'd expect to get. But no, they haven't responded to that um, at all. Which is, um, I mean, I think that tells a story in itself. Mm. Are the CQC still looking into it further? Well, so um, I had to um, push push further to get this out, but they said they've received further information from staff raising concerns after their inspection, um, mm. and which they're reviewing and will be following up with the trust. So that's um, that's a story we'll continue I'll continue to follow mm. and watch and see what comes out of it. Mm. So that so they might get to the bottom of it yet. Yeah, they might do. Hopefully. Um, hopefully they do get to the bottom of it um and who knows they might they might they might receive further further concerns i mean they there are <clears throat> a number of things that the trust the number of quality issues that the trust will be dealing with at the moment as well um and least of which which were mentioned in their cqc report about mm. terrible kind of this their care homes complaining about discharges for example patients being sent without medication still with their cannulas in mm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You wonder actually how many other services across across the country must have been in a similar position with with wards being transferred and so on, and suddenly staff having to work in a completely different place mm. and environment, and mm. must have must have led to all sorts of concerns and issues. I would have thought. Yeah, I think totally. I think so. And I, but I think it's the response to those concerns. Yes. Yeah. It's the important thing, how you adjust and respond to what is happening because mistakes do happen and reconfigurations often don't go very well, but mm. it's how you, how you adjust to that. And is, is the sense from the staff you spoke to that the trust didn't respond all that positively? Yes, so the sense I'm guessing is that um, a lot of the staff got no traction with the concerns they raised. Mm. Um, raised to management and then um to the to the board as well Mm -hmm. um so in terms of other pressures rebecca i just wanted to ask kind of um in normal times this would be a significant and um you know quite um difficult thing for an organization to have to contend with you'd expect this sort of report how has the trust been coping generally in terms of its covid response and kind of any other pressures on it at the moment well, so it's um, it's it's been in the eye of the storm in terms of its COVID response for a while. Um, although it is the kind of has the largest 
ICU in the country um, and I think one of the largest bed bases. Um, they've been, uh, I've, up until this week, I, I was told yesterday by a contact that they were still sending patients out to us, Southampton and Kent oh, really? so mm -hmm. they're ITU patients. So they're still very heavily under the cosh with um, ITU, although some areas of the West Midlands are plateauing. Um, and I mean, they have, these these will be most likely have to be picked up again after the um, after the pandemic. But um, just before, or oh, just going into the pandemic, we reported that um, the trust was having to uh, carry out a fit and proper persons review. Mm. CEO David Rosser. Mm. Now the CQC have told me this week that that review is ongoing. Um, its original aim was supposed to be have been done. I understand in um, in um, autumn. But that's still ongoing. I presume that's been delayed by COVID, but it's something that the trust will have to deal with eventually. Mm. And something I'm sure you'll be following up on when they when they do kind of have their conclusions. <laughs> and to anyone um, interested in reading Rebecca's investigation, it's on the HSJ website at the moment and well, will remain so. Um, but I think that's quite a good um, link to the next story um, we're going to be discussing um, on the subject of the fit and proper persons test. So our second main discussion point is about University Hospitals of Leicester, um, the other side of the Midlands. Um, and on Friday, we published a story detailing how the former chief executive, John Adler, and chief financial officer, Paul Trainer, um, both at the Trust, um, had been referred to the Care Quality Commission under the Fit and Proper Persons process. Um, this was after what the National Audit Office described as an unprecedented failure to provide true and fair accounts. So this referral emerged, um, as this referral emerged, so did the report by the NAO um, on the ex-leaders at the at ULH, and um, it um, kind of became clear that um, the financial leadership team had adjusted the trust's finances to achieve, um, and I quote, a certain outcome rather than to represent accurately the economic reality. Um, that was a story we published on Friday and it was, that report was pretty um, shocking reading. And um, this was all because of a re revelation um, last spring, um, which was also published in HSJ about how a review instigated by a, the new financial, um, new chief finance officer, Simon Lazarus, had discovered a £46 million hole in the trust's financial accounts for 2018 and 19. So this is an ongoing, um, incredibly significant financial story. Um, and as I said, we're joined by Lawrence, who has covered finance for HSJ for quite a few years. And I think it would be interesting um, to discuss how significant is this story compared to other um, financial stories that we run. Um, I think the one in my mind and maybe um, some of our listeners' minds would be Barking Havering and Red Redbridge. Yeah, that, that's that's one sort of uh, famous example, but but there have been um, many um, over over the last few years, um, and I think but but this one is particularly extraordinary. I th I think because a lot of the other ones happened in year, and so one a, a trust as effective a trust might have signed up to a control total with NHS improvement. 
and then um, so said they can reach a break even, for example, mm -hmm. and then um, throughout the year kind of said, yeah, yeah, we're fine. We're going to we're going to hit the break even. And then kind of when it comes to the final months of the year, they'll say, actually, sorry, we're, we're going to miss it by 40 million or something. And mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're, and so something clearly, clearly gone badly wrong there. Um, but in this example, they've um, not only has that happened, but then the trust, it seems like they haven't actually um, admitted or realised in the year that they're going to that they're going to miss it. And they've actually gone through the formal process of putting together the accounts, which is a kind of legal process. Mm -hmm. And and they've submitted these accounts and and John Adler, the chief exec and Paul Trainer, the chief finance officer, have signed them off as true and fair um, to say this is our position. And uh, and then it's later emerged that it, it was um, the, the real position was actually 46 million pounds worse um, mm. and so I think that's what make that's what kind of makes this story really stand out is mm. is that there was this misstatement in the in the in the annual accounts which is a, a legal document um, and uh, and so that's I think why we've seen these referrals to the CQC and and to the account one of the accountancy bodies for the for the CFO. Mm. And I think it's sort of, yeah, and um, as we mentioned, um, well, I think it's important to bring in the role of Grant Thornton, who um, was the trust's um, auditors, um, well, for a three-year contract starting from, um, I believe, 2017. Um, and this story is sort of developed. So yesterday um, we saw um, a report published by Grant Thornton, which um, came out in the board papers um, and there was a board meeting this morning, actually. Um, and again, this was, um, we, you know, we both read it yesterday. It's a pretty remarkable report um, in which um, the um, auditors, Grant Thornton, um, described how they were, um, the trust sort of tried to, sort of suggested they might be um, manoeuvred from their position as, as auditors, they might be changed, um, which was um, pretty unusual, I think. I don't know if you've ever come across that before, Lawrence. Certainly never, um, you, you hear of it happening, but certainly um, never, never been sort of said in public like that. Mm. And it's a, it's a, it's a strange one. And we, and we haven't, uh, am I right in thinking we haven't heard properly from Grant Thornton on this, that mm. the, 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 the accounts that were the big issue where the 46 million pound hole happened mm. uh, were in 2018-19 mm -hmm. and Grant Thornton signed those accounts off as as true and fair mm. yeah um, uh, but then it is sort of in this report that they've that they've um, published um, or put out um, Grant Thornton are saying that throughout this period they were they were challenging the trust mm. um, on a lot of their accounting judgments and, and then at one point that the trust, it seems sort of tried to try to remove them from the contract and retender yeah. it. Um, and and so, it, you know, it, it does seem that Grant Thornton have have challenged and um, 
and have and have now made some quite strong statements about what what's gone on, saying the trust deliberately mis, 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 misreported the financial position. Yeah. But they haven't answered this question about why they signed off the eighteen nineteen accounts, mm. and and, they, and there might be a good reason why they why they did, and it, and it was and it was missed. But but I think they still need to answer that really. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, Rebecca. You know, is could that is there a potential element of um, the Grant Thornton report that you pub, that you that you reported on yesterday being kind of a preemptive covering of backs? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was dated. It was dated the twenty first of January, so you know it was written two weeks ago. I guess I don't know. I mean, it seems that they were. Um, um, when we published the story on Friday, the question as to what why they signed off the accounts was was definitely in our minds, and I think it still hasn't been answered. And interestingly, um, the the trust board, um, Mark Stocks, who is, I think, well, he works for Grant Thornton, but sort of leads um, on the leads the audit for UHL for Grant Thornton. Um, he he spoke at the trust board meeting and um, expressed how. Um, he has um, concern that once the trust is out of the pandemic, without additional financial support, the trust will return to a financial deficit position. And he sort of stressed that I think that he said urgent action is needed with partners in the health economy and with NHS I. So they're obviously they continue to have concerns about the trust. And I'd be interested to know when they flagged their concerns, where did where did that go? Was that just an internal flagging? Because it doesn't seem to be much evidence of those concerns being raised and that might just be because of that's how this kind of financial process goes I, I maybe I don't know but um I don't know whether where you can find those concerns how much scrutiny are they given um they say so for example um uh Grant Thornton signing off accounts or auditors signing off trust accounts how much scrutiny is that then subsequently given or is it not um sort of very famously not very much at all um, <laughs> and this is a kind of a problem that goes back decades and um you know you could say is part of the reason why um you've had the the, the why the financial crash happened and and you get um instances like patisserie valerie and enron and mm. and these huge financial blow-ups is that the um, the auditing profession in general isn't fit for purpose, and and there aren't enough companies doing it. There's not enough competition in the market, and I think I'm right in saying there's a there's a kind of ongoing um, review of the audit sector, um, which is happening uh, in Parliament mm. with, the, with the PAC and various other bodies. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And um, yeah, so they are doing, um, they're continuing with their contract um, with the trust, I believe, but this will, um, they're having to redo the accounts from 1920 as they, the trust could not sign off their accounts and the um, acting chief executive, Rebecca Brown, was very clear that this is absolutely the right decision. Like she described it as an incredibly difficult decision for the trust. And um, Lawrence, I think it's pretty unusual for a trust not being able to 
sign off their own accounts. Um, at least I've not heard of it before. Um, but no, no, I haven't either. And, and the NAO said it was unprecedented. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those accounts are being redone um, with the new financial team, finance team. Um, so they're not expected until I think the late spring, and then there'll be a further delay with the accounts after that. So this is going to have a real knock-on effect on the trust. Um, they're also having um, apparently going through um, an intensive. Um, to remember the word used to describe it but kind of an intensive look at how they do their governance so I, I guess quality improvement as well so they're taking this they are taking this really seriously but yeah as you said there are some unanswered questions and I think just one last thing to cover on this is around it's quite an interesting point around what Grant Thornton said about other trusts and also what the NAO said about other trusts in that all trusts are under incredible financial pressure um, but they don't you know make amendments to their their finances um yeah I think that struck you as well Lawrence yeah I think it's important to, to say that um you know a few years ago when this whole system of control totals and incentive funding was introduced um the the point was widely made that that you you will be putting a lot of pressure on uh trusts uh, their FDs and their boards to, um, to 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 fit all the books, I, I suppose, for want, of a better, for want of a better word, and and most are not gonna most are not going to do that. But you are, but but you will you will get some that that will. How would you but how would you describe um, uh, NHS England and improvements in the CCG's response to Leicester? Um, so no response from the CCG um, and NHS England was um, quick to point out that um, the chief exec and CFO were being referred to the fit and proper persons test um, and the trust itself has been has given us like very detailed and long responses and I think you know they are they are committed to to fixing this and sorting it out as a new team in place um, they're being they're working with NHS England on improvement on a new on this kind of financial uh, investigation into their finances. Um, but other than that, um, in terms of other partners, there hasn't been um, there hasn't been um, an incredibly detailed response. And um, all right, I think before we end, we have a couple of minutes just to. Um, talk about um briefly talk about covid and update listeners on um kind of any changes in pressure um rebecca we briefly talked about uhb and um their covid um experience um the midlands has had a very tough time in general i wondered what's what's happening there now uh so um uh in uh, today today samuel was birmingham hospitals uh, board meeting they still like as with UHB very under the cosh mm -hmm. mm -hmm. 220% of their ICU capacity mm -hmm. uh, Worcestershire seems to be plateauing slightly um, mm -hmm. Staffordshire uh, still very under the cosh but again plateauing so it's varying um, I mean the, that, that um, pinpoint of pressure in Birmingham the back country uh, seems to have um, remained and was the same to be honest in the first wave that was a particular concern and well and Wolverhampton as well in that mix um mm. so mm. yeah I mean they are 
Um, I think, although although areas are plateauing, there are still areas that which are very much um, quite worried. Still, mm. still trust, which will be very worried about maintaining their services. And are they happy with how the vaccinations are going? Uh, do you know what? That's the one positive thing that I do keep hearing. I don't know yeah. about your your patches, but no, um, it does seem to be the one the one thing that is going quite well. Mm. Mm, no, I definitely, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. not in the northwest, Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, how's it going in the northwest? <laughs> no, it's going well actually. They've uh, they're having well they've had their, they're having their supply cut back a bit because they are doing well. <laughs> yeah, they're, well, they still um, no, they, upset about that. Um, generally, no. The people in the program understand it. I think that, that there are some politicians who are upset about it, mm. um, but I think it. You know, I think people, most people, understand that it makes sense because they are on track to um, complete the the priority cohorts. They've only got about 300,000 to go, I think, and they've done about 1.1 million. It's remarkable. Um, and in terms of pressure, Lawrence, in the northwest, is that easing up? I know in, in London and the southeast, we're expecting um, by February to see um, uh, COVID positive patients to be at a more manageable rate. Is that going to be the same? Yeah, it's, it's looking much more positive. It's um, mm. ad admissions are falling really quite quickly. Mm. Um, but, but bed occupancy and ICU occupancy are obviously mm. they're, they're coming down, um, but quite but they'll come down more slowly, and mm. and they're still at very high levels at the moment, um, and so uh, it, it's, I don't think hospitals are going to be going back to bringing all their electives back on um, anytime that soon. Mm. No, absolutely. Right. Um, thank you both for joining this week. We've come to the end of um, our time. You've been listening to the HSJ Health Trip podcast. And just a reminder, it is available every week on the hsj.co.uk website and across all main podcast channels. And don't forget to subscribe and share. Thanks very much for listening and we'll be back next week.